Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Welcome to The Art of Being You, and a special welcome to those of you guys who are listening for the first time. I'm so thankful to have you on here. Today is sort of a continuation of a theme that we've been doing for the last two weeks, talking about emotions a little bit, and uh, today we're going to be talking about the sacred versus secular perspective on the world and why how you believe about that actually matters. Now, That was not a grammatically correct sentence, but that's okay. Um, So look, we've been talking about emotions, and anytime you talk about emotions in church, you get a couple of responses. And the first one is usually from people who are very logic-based and don't believe emotions matter, don't believe they're helpful. Uh, My personal opinion, this isn't a shaming statement, I just think it's sort of true that people like that probably are avoidantly attached probably grew up in homes where um, there was a highly emotional person and it destroyed their life. It made it difficult for them to function and therefore their response to that is to reject emotion. Um, But there are some who didn't have that experience in their background and genuinely believe that God does not value emotion. Um, Then you've got those, when we talk about emotions in church-like settings, who feel like emotions are dangerous. They feel like emotions lead us down paths that are bad, that we should not trust our emotions, that we should be weary of the emotions, like, you know, emotions are liars kind of thing. And I think both of those viewpoints are not necessarily healthy. When I look at the church, when I look at the New Testament church even, I actually see a lot of emotion. And I see a a community of believers who understood emotion and actually worked through it to their advantage. They actually use their emotions like a springboard to draw them closer to Jesus time and time again, like a trampoline to heaven, if that was a thing. And so I think it's important that we understand that. But the reality is that how you feel about emotions is probably going to be how you feel about today's topic. We're talking about the difference between being sacred and secular. And is that distinction even important? One of my number one pet peeves, and this is probably, you know, letting you in too much to my uh, inner world, but I really cannot stand when we as Bible-believing church people use phrases like the secular world, like the secular world, like, you know, as if the world, the kingdom of God is the only place where God is. Now, it is true that the kingdom of God operates differently than this world, It is true that there are some things to the Lord that are sacred and holy, but that doesn't mean that the rest of it is apart from God. Let me tell it to you like this. Psalm 24 verse one has this amazing statement. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, or you might have it translated everything in it. Um, It's interesting because in first Corinthians 10 26, Paul actually echoes this scripture again. And he says, the earth is the Lord's and all that is within it all that is within it. So if God owns everything, is anything truly without God? Is it truly secular? Well, in my personal opinion, no. You might say, well, but Rachel's sin, you know, causes separation from God. And I would say to you that sin has a solution. So it no longer causes separation from God like it did 
in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not saying I'm not a universalist. I'm not saying that God is in every single thing that's out there. What I'm saying is if God is in you, you are never secular. If you are united in Christ, which, spoiler alert, if you know Jesus, you are, then everywhere you go and everything you do, Jesus does with you. Therefore, you are incapable of having a sacred and secular life. It is not possible for a believer in Christ Jesus to have that. Everywhere you go, when you sin, when you sleep, when you talk, when you eat, when you have sex, everything you do, the Lord is with you. So nothing is genuinely secular in the way that we think it is. My other pet peeve, which goes hand in hand with this, is this idea of like the marketplace, right? I just, the marketplace phrase, I don't know why I need to get over it. Lord, help me, help me with my uh, ridiculousness. But when we talk about like marketplace believers, those are believers who have a job, which are like 99% of all believers in the world. And I just think it's so dumb to call it marketplace. I don't know. I shouldn't say that. But hopefully some of you guys out there are like, yes, okay, I feel heard. I feel known. Look, marketplace is another word for career or job, right? So when we're talking about there are people who are appointed to go into the marketplace to bring the kingdom, my statement would be, that's not news. That's not new either. That's reality. When you are in Christ and you go to work, guess who goes with you? You guessed it, Jesus. You're not leaving him in your quiet time and then getting in your car and driving apart from him to your job at Costco. He's literally with you everywhere you go. So where did we even get this idea of sacred and secular? Well, Biblically, if you look at the Old Testament, there's a lot of this theme there because Israel was sacred to the Lord. Israel was holy, a holy priesthood. You know this phrase, a royal nation, a holy priesthood, right? That is Israel. And so we have this idea that like there are parts of the earth that belong to the devil and there are parts of the earth that belong to God. And that was true until Jesus shouted out, it is finished. And when Jesus came onto the cross, when he fulfilled his work to pay for our sins and the sins of all mankind, and then when he was resurrected three days later and he went and he took his place as eternal high priest, as Hebrews tells us, at that point, the earth is the Lord's again. Now, the earth was always the Lord's, right? Because he created it. In Genesis, he created it. Um, you know, and then it wasn't until the Tower of Babel that God actually divided the earth and um, created this idea that we have of like sacred and secular. And then when the cross comes and the resurrection comes, Ephesians 3 tells us the mystery that was made known to man. In other words, what was mysterious in the heavens was that Jesus was actually going to be the payment to ransom the whole world back to God. And so now the earth again is the Lord's and everything in it. And so, yes, there are still demonic powers on the earth. Yes, there are still people who are living apart from God. Yes, there are still, you know, forces against God on the earth, but all of it belongs legally to Christ. Therefore, you in Christ don't have any division like that anymore. 
This is why it's important to understand holiness and understand sin, right? Because those things are the outworking of this revelation in our life, that our life becomes sacred and everything we do is worship to the Lord. So if you're working at Costco, if you're working as a veterinarian, God bless you. If you're working as an accountant, double blessing on you. If you're working, I'm thinking of all the jobs I I wouldn't want to do. If you're whatever you're doing with your hands is actually worship unto the Lord. So there is worship where we are giving our adoration to God. We're giving our affection. We're expressing our devotion. Most commonly in today's world, we do that through song. But then there is worship in our actions. The position of our heart is acknowledging that Jesus is with us at every time, at every moment, in every place that we're in. This idea that some things are secular, that we shouldn't have anything to do with, I think, is one of the biggest lies the enemy has used to slow down evangelism. Think about it. Nobody wants to be defiled in God's eyes. So nobody wants to hang out with sinners. But what's crazy is this is exactly what Jesus did. He didn't go sin with them. Let's make that distinction. He wasn't like like they're smoking weed and they're passing it around and he's taking hits too. That's not what Jesus was doing. He was bearing the standard of holiness, but he was doing it in love, drawing people to himself like only he can do. And so we get nervous that he's going to be offended that we're around people who aren't like him people that we're trying to reach, people that we're trying to invest in. <laughs> Can you see the the craziness in this? How are we supposed to advance the gospel if we believe that there are parts of the world we should stay out of because they're scary and secular? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything, every person, every tree, it all belongs to God. But somebody has to go and inform those things that they belong to God. Is there anything that God does not want to be a part of? Is there anything that God does not feel he's capable in redeeming? I don't know, guys. To me, I feel like we've got to address this idea of sacred and secular. I need you I just encourage you is a better way to say that. I encourage you to really do some work in your own mind about this. What do you think about this? Here's what's fascinating. The ancient Greeks, these are the ones who had all of the Greek gods and the Greek mythology, right? So this is not a society that was built on godly things, okay? They genuinely believed that emotions were dangerous, They were a very logic-based culture, and they vilified and shamed emotion deeply. Um, It would be like if you're a Star Trek fan, the ancient Greeks in my mind are like the datas of the world. Like they're, they're almost like robotic in how they think, right? But they also, because they were suppressing their emotions so badly, they gave themselves to rebellious passion like crazy because you cannot really separate your emotions from yourself. That's just something we need to learn from the ancient Greek society. You cannot suppress it so much. It will come out. Your emotions will come out. But this idea that the ancient Greeks had has influenced the Western church so much. Here's something that you might not know. In the 400-year time period of silence from uh, the last book of the Old Testament to the first book of the New Testament, chronologically, there were 400 years where the, the living voice of God through a prophet or something like that was not on the earth, okay? 
And when Jesus came and he, he was, it was his turn to read from the scroll, uh, you know, in the synagogue that day. And he gets up and he reads, uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bind up the brokenhearted. And it's like, it's the first time the world had heard the living voice of God, the voice of the Lord in 400 years. It's a big deal. But in that 400 year time period, we actually see the, the city of Jerusalem and the Jews gravitating from what used to be very Hebraic thinking to very Greek thinking. And why? Because Greek culture had become very popular and the Greek influence was spreading into Jerusalem and it was actually affecting the way that they did their laws. If you've ever uh, listened to me preach, I did a sermon several months ago um, in our What is Church series at our Bethel OKC uh, podcast. It's on there where we talked about women in ministry. And so you may have heard this before if you heard that that um, message. But the reality is that before the Old Testament is over, women actually had a lot of rights from God. They actually were business owners. They uh, were ministers to some degree. They were worship leaders. Deborah was the leader of the entire nation. Um, women had a lot more freedom to live and be under God until we pick up the book in Matthew. And in that 400 year time period, now we see that women are basically property. They're not allowed to speak. They're not allowed to read. They're not allowed to own businesses. They're really only allowed to go to a funeral and a wedding by themselves without getting permission from their husband and the market. Every other time they want to leave their house, their husband had to like let them leave the house. So when we see this time period change, it's going, we're going, what has happened? Well, let me tell you what happened. The Greeks happened. The Greeks, the ancient Greeks believed that Pandora was the first woman and that when she opened the box, she brought all evil onto the world and therefore they hated women. And I mean hated women. And as the Greeks elevated their influence over the Jews, the Jews began to hate women. And the Jews began to become very logic-based. When we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we, we see that there's all this logic that was devoid of heart. The Pharisaical system added hundreds of laws for the Jewish people that God did not give to the people. These were laws of governance and also religious-based laws. And we see that it all brings it into the realm of logic. Why? Because the Greeks hated emotion. So when we pick this up to a couple thousand years later and we look at the Western American church, do you know what I see? The influence of the ancient Greeks. I see the philosophical belief system that emotions are bad, emotions and feelings aren't good, that you're not smart if you feel things, that you aren't intelligent and logic-based. You can't be logic-based if you have emotions. I need to say to whoever might be listening to this that I believe that's actually a demonically inspired thought. If it has lasted for thousands of years from the system of the ancient Greeks that came from demonic principalities, it is a demonic thought that is taken up root in the American church. There is no sacred and secular division. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Hear me when I say this to you. In you, there is no sacred and secular division. You are God's. Everything in you can be holy. Everything in you can be possessed by Jesus himself. Everything in you can be redeemed. There's no part of you that God is trying to clip off. I mean, you might say, okay, Rachel, but what about the flesh? Well, God killed the flesh so that you could live beyond it, right? 
So it's not that you're commingling with the flesh. The flesh is dead. Everything that's left is essentially sacred if you want to look at it that way. Your job, your marriage, even if you're married to an unbeliever, yeah. Your kids, your relationship with your kids, what you're fantasizing about as you go to sleep at night, how you spend your money, every single thing about you belongs to the Lord. So if there's something secular, it's because you are choosing to separate it from God. It's because you are choosing to keep God out from that thing. I'm not saying you're doing this willingly. I assume you're not. But a lot of times when we look and we say, well, God doesn't like this part of me, it's because we've never actually brought it into his presence to ask him, right? What do you think about my sex life, God? What do you think about what I eat and drink? What do you think about what I watch on TV? My life changed forever when I started imagining the Holy Spirit sitting next to me watching TV with me. There's a, a show on TLC called Sister Wives. I'm sure most of you guys are uh, haven't watched it, but it's a poly- it's a show about polygamists. And uh, God bless these people. They need Jesus like more than anybody I've I've probably ever met. And I remember watching the first episode just kind of out of curiosity. And I remember sitting and and the Holy Spirit, it felt like he was sitting next to me. And we talked together through the whole episode. And I was asking the Lord, what would your wisdom be if this family came to Jesus? If they got saved, all of them, these four women and this one man, if they got saved, how would you lead them? What would you tell them to do? Who who becomes the wife? Do they? Just, I mean, they've got like 19 kids between them. And I'm, I would have these conversations with God. I won't tell you what he said to me. But for the entire first season, it was like date night with Jesus where we would sit and watch this family and talk about how God handles people who are heavily invested in each other and they get saved. I learned a lot about God's heart for people through that. What we watch, what we think, what we eat, what we drink, who we spend time with. If we allow it to all belong to God, then we recognize there is no secular world. The secular world, it, it, you, you as a believer cannot exist in a secular world. Everywhere you go is sacred. And so the rest of the world that is not in the kingdom of God is not secular like, boo, don't go there, like the Philistines or something like that. It's, it's, it's the brokenness. It's the broken part of the world that God wants to get in there. And you know how he wants to get in there? Through you guys. Through you being so filled with his love, being the sacred holiness of God himself, And drawing people through himself because you interact with the world around you and they get a taste for the beautiful nature of Jesus through your life. This is why it's so important that we walk in the spirit. Again, the idea that the secular, the idea of anything secular for believers is just wrong. Let me just kind of land this plane by saying this. God is not afraid of sin. Sin is not a problem to the Lord anymore. It has a solution. And I think we have to understand this. When God looks at the earth right now, he actually has solutions in it. He has answers. <laughs> the problem is that we want to debate and, and talk as if he doesn't, right? We want to, to assume and make plans without actually seeking the Lord for the wisdom and the answers that we need. 
God is not afraid of darkness, friends. Literally, God is not capable of existing in darkness because everywhere he goes gets lit up. He is light itself, right? So when Jesus shows up in a place, it's not really dark anymore. I think this is why when Jesus walked around towns in the Gospels and like demons would just start freaking out, you know, because nothing can hide in his presence. And he's not, he's not like, he's not bothered by that. He absolutely embraces that that is his nature. Why? Because it's his house. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If you own multiple properties or you own land, you know, and you're walking around that land and you just feel so free because it's yours. I think that's how God feels. He doesn't walk in and go, oh, does this belong to Jezebel? Well, I might need to ask permission first. No. He walks in and says, hey, Jezebel, you should be asking me permission for what you're doing. Think about it. The earth is the Lord's. Everywhere you go, Jesus goes with you. So every dark area around you has potential to be lit up with the light of Christ through you. Come on, somebody. I might be preaching here for a minute. But listen, this is important stuff for us to understand. He actually wants to light up the darkness of this world. He actually wants to light up the darkness of your life. He actually wants to redeem your family. He actually wants to redeem the people of your family that you think are so far gone that that feel like they hate you because they don't understand you. He actually has wisdom for that. As long as we are saying that some of the world is cut off from God and therefore we should cut ourselves off from it, I think the gospel is not going to spread as quickly as it's supposed to. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You are the Lord's and everything within you is God's as well. I just bless you to come into the understanding of that so that you will offer it to him. I heard this recently and I posted about this as well, that, that the, um, you know, maybe the reason why God gave us self-control is so that we can yield ourselves to the Lord. Maybe the reason why we even have a theology about secular things is because we don't want to yield to the Lord in that area. And maybe it's time that we stop thinking like that. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.